Excellent. Well, open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, and we'll get into the Word this morning. I'm always excited uh, to open up the Word with you. So let me pray. Uh, Let's also pray for our offering. It's part of our worship that we give unto the Lord for the furtherance of his work and his kingdom. And so uh, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for the worship of the saints. God, that we got to lift our voices to you. And God, that you inhabit the praises of your people. And God, we thank you that we sang about how we want you to cover this land. And Lord, we know that um, we as a church want to reach Uh, many with the gospel of Jesus, and we thank you that we get to do that locally and globally, Lord. We ask that, God, each person that gives into the work of the gospel, Lord, that they would do it cheerfully, and, Lord, that they would be blessed in what they give. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, as you're hopefully already in 1 John chapter 2 or turning there, I want to talk for a moment about family. And this last week was a big week for the Hendricksons. Uh... Our two older kids both had birthdays this last week. They are born three years and one day apart. And so, yeah, my daughter turned eight on Wednesday and my son turned five on Thursday. And uh, I hear this all the time from people who have raised kids is they say, man, it just goes by so fast. You wouldn't believe how quickly you watch as your kids grow up. And in some ways, it feels like it goes slow, right? Like when I'm changing a blowout on my three-month-old son, it just feels like time stops. Um, but then the next thing you know, you're, you're watching, and maybe you've experienced this, is you know, your daughter's getting married, and you're having that first dance with your daughter, or your children are having children of their own, and you've become grandparents, and I know that there's still plenty of time for me to enjoy with my children before we get there, but man, just the other day, I opened up my phone, and I saw this picture that my daughter had taken, and now, now she's taking pictures of herself on my phone, and, um, and, and I was looking at this picture, and I couldn't believe how gorgeous my daughter was. And then I went over to, you know how iPhone puts together those montages with like the sentimental background music? And I was, I was like watching that and I got all blubbery and I just had to stop. That, that stuff's dangerous. So, but um, anyways, I'll, I'll stop talking about my kids at this point. Uh, there, there's a reason I'm talking about them. It's funny because I have a, a friend who's a pastor and he uh, made this agreement with his own kids that anytime he uses his kids in sermon illustrations, he gives them 20 bucks. Yes. It definitely made him cut down on how many times he uses them in illustrations now. So, um, but the whole point that I'm trying to make here is that as a church, we are a family. In the scriptures, you see this all over the place, that we are the family of God because God is our father, Jesus is our brother, we have been born again by the spirit of God, which means that when you believed, you were adopted into the family of God, amen? Amen, and family is used all over the scriptures to speak about the church, of our relationship to God, and our relationship to one another, and so we have a family here at Calvary Chapel. This is a family, and we're praying for many more to be born into this family, and we want to love and serve each other as a church and uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ, and I, I know that in this church, 
there is going to be spiritual fathers and mothers. There's going to be spiritual brothers and sisters, spiritual sons and daughters, that in this church, there will be a deep and a rich heritage of spiritual family as we grow together through uh, what are the early years of our life as a church. And some of you here today, you're, you're, you're in the church, you're of the church, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and you would identify as a spiritual parent. You know, you've been at this faith for a long time, and you are active in pouring out yourself to the next generation of Jesus followers, and you would consider yourself something like a spiritual parent. That's what John was. He was a spiritual father. Or maybe faith is still new for you, and you would consider yourself more like a young child that is still growing, and hopefully, if that's you, you're connecting yourself to spiritual parents. You're connecting yourself to people who are going to disciple you in the faith. Or maybe you're hearing me talk about all this, and this whole idea of the church being a family sounds a little bit kumbaya to you. But I'll tell you that there is nothing like the family of God and what we experience in it. The family of God, it doesn't replace your biological family, but it can certainly supplement it if there's any lack there. And the spiritual family of God can enhance the experience of your biological family. We are a family here. And it's crazy looking family, big, different, misfit pack of people is us, the church. And our experience of this at times might feel slow, and our experience of this at times might feel fast. And if we're not paying attention, right, if we're not alert to what's going on in the life of the church as a family, we might miss something. There are important events that incur, uh, occur in families' lives, and, and if you're not alert, if you're not paying attention, you might miss something, and we, we need to have our eyes open, we need to be engaged, because we don't want to miss, for instance, the first steps. You know, my three-month-old, I just can't wait, because every time I got to experience that with my kids, their first steps, it's so much fun, and you don't want to miss something like that. You don't want the teenage years to blow right by you, you want to keep what Jesus said is our first love by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And if we're not, as a family, continually confessing and admitting one another's faults, if we're not bearing with one another, then God forbid that we would become divided as a family. We certainly don't want that. That's my son right back there crying. Thank you. So. <laughs> And my mom taking him out into the foyer. Thank you. I love that. See, it's family. It's good. And so all of this talk about family, and the reason I've spent so much time already just in the beginning of this message, before we get even into the text to talk about family, it's because this is going to shape how we see 1 John chapter 2. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, let's read. It says, My little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Again, John was a spiritual father. He had been discipled by Jesus, and now in turn he is discipling others. John started walking with Jesus when he was a young man, but now as he's writing, he is an old man. He's 
many estimate, in his 90s at this time. And John is writing to the church. He's writing to the family of God. And many of them are younger believers. And they've believed through the ministry of John. And John loves these people, loves them deeply. He wants them to know and love Jesus. And notice how he speaks to them. He calls them little children. And that word, little children, those words, little children, are a single word in the Greek. Uh, It's the word technion, and it's what we call in grammar a diminutive. A diminutive is a type of word that denotes uh, the size of something. So, for instance, the diminutive for dog would be like little puppy, right? In our house, we have names for our own kids that are kind of like diminutives. For Kennedy, we call her Ken Ken. For Caleb, we call him Boo-Boos, and for Knox, we call him Nunus, and I think that just cost me $60, so. (laughs) But when we talk to our kids in this way, we're speaking to them tenderly and affectionately because they're our children. And when John calls them, the people he's writing to, and he calls us, little children, and and look, I don't want us to miss this. The reason why I'm spending so much time here is because it's going to influence the way that we read the rest of these verses. John is speaking as a spiritual father to spiritual children, and he calls them affectionately the little children because he has discipled them in the faith and he has an overwhelming love and care for these people. He has a heart and he has words that are overflowing with grace and truth for them. He knows them, like he really has relationship with them. He understands them. And more than anything, he just wants them to be children of God in the family of God. He wants them to be lavished with the love of the heavenly father. And so if while you're reading 1 John and you're imagining John with his arms folded and his his brows furrowed, just kind of looking with anger and frustration at the Christians that he's writing to, saying something like, don't sin, then I think you're missing John's heart and I think you might be missing the heart of God. See, John says, little children, there's this love and this care, this provision that we have because of the abundance of grace and mercy through the blood of Jesus that John can say, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. See, doesn't knowing the heart of John shape how we read that statement right there? John says, little children, my precious ones, you don't have to sin. I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. And let this be a revelation to you today. This amazing statement that John makes, because it's true, you do not have to sin. Because you have the love of the Father, And because you have the blood of Jesus and you have the leading and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you do not need to sin. These words that are written for us in the Bible that John wrote are are words for us that we might have them in our hearts so that we might not sin against God. 
Read Psalm 119, verse 11, that says, I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. And so let me say this one more time before we move on. With, with what I believe is the heart of God for the family of God today. You do not have to sin. And even as I say that, you're even saying, is that even possible? It is possible for you not to sin. It is possible for you to live in the peace and the blessing of God's righteousness. You can live a righteous life. And God helping you, you do not have to live outside of God's boundaries. You do not have to live outside of God's blessings. Believe this today. Like, actually believe it. Uh, and sometimes it's for me, it's, just, it's hard for me to believe that, that I do not have to sin. I don't. When I make decisions, when I come across temptations, I do not have to choose to engage in the behavior that would be called sin. I don't have to. And so look at verse 1 again, because there's still more. It says, my little children, again, affectionately, this isn't coming down on us. This is speaking tenderly and loving to us. I'm, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But... If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. See, John is writing these things so that we would know the love of God and that we would have a greater affection for God. And when we have that, that would keep us from sinning. You know, the best way not to sin, I believe, is to have a better desire, is to have a greater affection we know, right, because we know that we will desire sin. Anyone in this room who has a fleshly nature knows that the spirit and the flesh wage war against one another, and we often have this desire for sin. We sang, as Jesus holds us fast, we sang how often our love grows cold. But we can walk in the righteousness of Jesus. And because as we have this pleasure and this desire of abiding in Jesus, that's going to show us that there's something so much better to have as we abide in Jesus than to engage in any fleeting desire for sin. Right? You know, it's been called by one writer this idea of getting a greater affection or a greater desire for God than for sin. He calls this the expulsive power of a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. Do you want to expel sin from your life? Then get a better affection. Get a better desire. And the only best desire that you can have is an affection for God that will actually expel any desire that you have for sin. And so you don't have to sin anymore. You can stop doing what you have been doing by turning from your sin and turning to Jesus. That is called repentance in the Bible. And so turning your heart and its desires for the things of this world, the things of the flesh, you can turn your heart and your desire to the things of the Lord and to his righteousness and the things that are pleasing to him. And God gives you the ability to do that. But, and there are some big buts in the Bible, and this is one of them. 
I'm so thankful for this next part of verse one that says, but, because without that, there would be no gospel. It would be perfection, and we are not perfect. So he's writing to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. So you don't have to sin, but if you do, and if we're honest with ourselves, right, we will, and we do often, but if we sin, we have an advocate in Jesus. You know, maybe you heard me saying today, you don't have to sin, and you're thinking, great, oh, good. I don't believe that. I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried to overcome sin in my life, and I still do it, and I hate it. Yes, I understand. And we have an advocate in Jesus. So God's heart and God's desire is that you would walk with him in the light as he is in the light, that you would believe that you can walk in righteousness. And as you're walking with Jesus, if somewhere along the way you stumble, if somewhere along the way you give in to that temptation, even though Jesus always provides a way of escape when you are confronted with temptation, if you fall into it, if you do choose to sin, and miss the mark, and stumble in unrighteousness, you have Jesus the righteous to advocate for you. The word advocate is that beautiful word, parakletos. It's also used of the Holy Spirit, and it's someone who stands by you to comfort you. It's like a lawyer who actually cares for his clients. Rob's one of those kind of lawyers, right? And there is the sense that, yes, we have fallen short of the glory of God. We have sinned, and, and, and there's no way that we can appear before God. We're, we're guilty as charged. There's no way that we can come to God and prove any sense of innocence before God. Therefore, we need a mediator. We need an advocate, and that is who Jesus is to us. He advocates for you. So Look at verse 2 to understand a little bit more fully how Jesus does this. How does Jesus, the righteous one, advocate for us? Look at verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only ours, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So two things have been said so far. Jesus is our advocate and Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And these two are very much connected. And what is propitiation? That is a big word that you don't often use in your daily vocabulary. Who used the word propitiation this week? Anyone? No, I haven't either. So, But to, to make propitiation is to appease someone. And this word was commonly used by uh, the Greeks. And the, the Hebrews had an understanding of this as well as they made sacrifices. But the, the Greeks, they would try to appease the gods by offering sacrifices and gifts to them. They would make propitiation by offering something to this god in order to avert the wrath of God by the giving of some offering. So it's turning away the wrath, averting the wrath of God by offering a gift. But here is where Jesus is different from all other so-called gods that you know, the Greeks would make offerings to because they honestly, they were afraid for what might happen if they didn't. 
The difference of Jesus is that God himself presented himself in the person of Jesus to be the propitiation. Meaning God turned away his own righteous wrath against sin by himself. God satisfied his own justice by offering his own son as the gift to himself. Do you see how we're like nowhere involved in that scenario? It was something between the father and the son, and we did not make any propitiation for our sins, but Jesus made propitiation before the father. Therefore, Jesus can be our advocate. So what Jesus does is he stands before the father and he says, Dad, I paid the price of sin for this little child. And the father says, Wow, son, bring him into the family. And Jesus and the Holy Spirit, Jesus does the, the work of propitiation, the Spirit does the work of drawing, and we are brought into the family of God by the blood of Jesus, and therefore we will be with Jesus forever. But notice this, that when we sin, Jesus advocates to the Father saying, I have made propitiation for their sins, but notice what it says at the end of verse two. And not only theirs, not only believers, but for the whole world. And, and look, if, if you're a child of God here today, if you're in the family of God, you've been redeemed by Jesus, there is definitely the sense that you know that the blood of Jesus has covered you, that it has atoned for you, that you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. You, you have an understanding of that and what that means to be saved by Jesus. But what does it mean that Jesus made propitiation for the sins of the whole world? Does the whole world understand that Jesus' blood has averted the wrath of God? Does this, does this even mean that the whole world is saved and that every person then is a child of God? See, that can't be the case because if we were to read the entirety of Scripture, we would see that that's not consistent, that as much as we would want the whole world to be saved, don't you? I mean, honestly, if we could erase hell, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we want the whole world to be saved? And, and many times people have succumbed to the pressure of wanting that desire so badly that they remove the sense that not all will be saved. However, look at what this scripture is telling us. It's profound. What does it mean then that he has made propitiation for the sins of the world? It means, my friends, that the whole world can be saved. It means that for the world, sin isn't really the problem. And, and I, I know how strange that might sound to your ears. For the world, sin is really not the problem. Sin is not what sends people to hell. Jesus made propitiation for sins. God made a way when there was no way for people to come to him where sin no longer has to be an issue. The world can come to Jesus and believe upon him, and they should, because the cross shows us that the wrath of God was averted toward people. 
and that anyone could come to Jesus to find pardon, and the world can and should receive forgiveness, and we have Jesus as an advocate to do that for us. Amen? So the problem of the world is not really their sin. Jesus made all the provisions to deal with the sins of the world. You wanna know what the problem is? The problem of the world is that they want to be their own advocate. The problem of the world is that they love sin and they don't want to part with sin. They won't trust and they won't believe in Jesus as their advocate, as Jesus as the righteous, because what they're doing is they're trusting in their own righteousness and trying to be their own advocate. And listen, if that's where you're at today, if you are still of the world and you are not a child of God yet, and this would be the case if you're trying to still be your own advocate, the problem is you will sin. And let's just say that in all your life you only sinned once, like you stole a pack of gum, right? Or you can only recollect one time in your life when you told a lie. And and you're, I mean, like, honestly, you just say, man, I am the most upstanding moral citizen of this world. I'm just a really good person. But if you have one sin, you cannot advocate for your own sin. You can't because you have to appear before a holy God, and the only way someone can advocate before a holy God is if they are sinless, and you have to be truly righteous, and you have to have never sinned once to appear before God who is holy and a righteous judge. And there is only one man who can do that, and his name is Jesus. There's only one person who lived to the point where he resisted sin, that he shed his own blood, and that blood is the forgiveness of your sins because you have never once been able to resist sin like Jesus did. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And if we do not turn to Jesus as our advocate, we do not have salvation. So, I still say this with the love that is being poured out. So if anyone does sin, and that's all of us, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. This is the good news. This is the gospel that has been declared and that you can make a decision today to say, I will turn from my sin and I will turn to Jesus. And you've never done that. You will have an opportunity today to do that. The best thing about Jesus as your advocate is that there's no attorney fees. He pays all the debt by himself. And so when you come to Jesus and you simply ask him, Jesus, will you be my advocate? He will say, yes. I forgive you and I have made you righteous in the sight of my father because I am righteous and you are in me. Welcome to the family. Decide even now in your own heart if that's good news to you, if that sounds good and you want to have that. Decide in your heart right now before God that you want to turn to Jesus today and have him be your advocate. 
Well, let's read now verses three through six. It says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him also ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now, John's repeating some things. You guys all good? Okay. John's repeating some things that we've already studied and learned about in chapter one, which is that a Christian's conduct will match their calling, meaning that if you are a child of God, then you will behave like a child of God. And Jesus referred to this as fruit. We will be known by our fruit. And if we are righteous in Jesus, then we will bear fruit that is Fruits of righteousness that are in keeping with repentance. And Jesus, or John rather, says that here is a good measure of fellowship. And remember, fellowship speaks of the relationship we have with God. Here is how you can know with assurance that you have come to know God. How to know that you're in relationship with Jesus and his Father is if you keep his commandments. If you do the things that he says. You know, as Hendrickson's, we go in 20 bucks for my kids now again. Here we go. As Hendrickson's, we have this conversation a lot of times where usually this happens as we're in the car and we're about to go into maybe visiting a, a family, going over to someone's house for dinner, and we want our kids to, you know, to behave like Hendrickson's. And we have this conversation, and we'll sit in the car and we'll say, hey, hey, kids, so when mom and dad ask you to do something, what do you say? And the kids say, we say, yes, mom, yes, dad. And, and we ask the kids, if someone offers you something, what do you say? And they say, we say, no, thank you, or yes, please. Uh, and then the conversation ends, and you know, we just kind of establish a little rules of conduct for our family as we're in certain situations. And at the end of the conversation, we always end with the last rule. We say to the kids, and what's the last rule? And they say, have fun. And they, they shout out, have fun. Now, our kids don't always behave perfectly, clearly. And, and we know what it means, though, to be Hendrickson's when we go places. And the same is true for the family of God. If we are children of God, then we will have a family way. You could even call it family resemblance. You know, there's 613 commands of the law in the Bible, and they're all summed up, and Jesus was able to sum them up in just two commandments, which is to love God and love people. You know, it's like when we say for our kids, what, what's the final rule? And they say, have fun. We know as a family, if our kids are having fun, then they're going to be respectful. They're going to be kind. They're going to say thank you. They're going to be a delight to be around. And the same is true that if we're loving God and loving people, we will keep his commandments and his commandments won't be burdensome. We will enjoy living and loving in righteousness. And think about how weird of a situation it would be if, say, my family rolled up to somebody's house for dinner and there was just some sketchy dude that like rolled up with us. And he was angry and brash and rude and just you know, didn't look anything like us. You know, we're all blonde toe heads and he's got like brown scruff and it's like, 
who is this guy and how is he behaving and how is he talking? And if this man was just to roll up into some dinner with us and say, I'm a Hendrickson. No, you're not. You have no family resemblance of a Hendrickson. You smell like beef and cheese. You are not a Hendrickson, right? Stop calling yourself a Hendrickson. You have no family resemblance. And the same thing is what John is saying. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If you say you know him, but you're not keeping the commandments of God, you don't have the family resemblance, and how can you say that you know God? And the point that I'm making is, if you are indeed in the family of God, then you will have some family resemblance, and you will grow in that family resemblance. Look again at verse five through six. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So, this is clear. If you are a child of God, then you are in the family of God. And if you were in the family of God, then you will resemble your brother Jesus. You will do what the Father says. That's what Jesus did. He kept God's word. So it also says if you abide in God. And that word abide means to be at home in. It means to dwell in the house of. If you dwell in the house of God, if you are in the household of faith, then you will have family resemblance. You will be a Christian. Do you know that Christian is simply a diminutive? We talked about diminutives this morning. Christian simply means little Christ's. You will walk the same way Jesus walked because we are all little brothers and sisters of our big brother Jesus who's perfectly, perfectly lived and had a perfect example for us to follow. And if you're not familiar with how Jesus walked, read the Gospels. See how Jesus walked in obedience to the Father's will in everything. See how Jesus walked with power and authority and love amongst all whom he came in contact with. And so the question we have to ask ourselves as we kind of come to a close here is, is that if we call ourselves Christians, which I hope that you do, and if today you want to become a Christian, you want to come into the family of God, you want Jesus to be your advocate and brother, today you can make that decision. But if we call ourselves Christians, I have to ask you, are you talking the talk and are you walking the walk? And look, talk is cheap. How's your walk? Brother, are you walking with Jesus? Sister, do you keep his commandments? If you are, which I pray that you are, it says there in the scriptures that the love of God is perfected in you. And if you haven't been walking as you should, and you know it and the spirit is convicting you, well, there's an advocate for that. Turn to Jesus the righteous. Just come to Jesus and confess your sin and be forgiven. Do it again and again and again so that you will abide in Jesus, your Savior. And I know that we're not perfect, and let's get it right that Jesus is the only one who is perfect. We need to know that. But if we are in him, we have 
his ability in us. And we will be able to overcome sin. Truly, the love of God is perfected in us if we abide in him. So if your belief isn't changing your behavior, what are you believing? Please have a look with me at verse seven through eight. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandments, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandments is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You know, God's love has been set upon us. We are wrapped in his great love. And so the question is, if we're loved, are we loving? That's, that's where John is saying. This is where the rubber meets the road because this is what Jesus said in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. You know, Jesus was able to say that this was a new commandment. You know why? Because technically it's not a new commandment. We were told even in the old covenant to love God, but it's a new commandment because it was new in the sense that no one had ever loved like Jesus. And, And the love of Jesus is always new because there's always more to discover. You don't outgrow love. Love is inexhaustible. God is love. You understand God? Not completely. Then you don't understand love completely. But Jesus understood love completely. And this is the love that he showed us, is that he laid his life down for us. Those whom he loves, he laid his life down and he calls us friends, which means that Jesus loved sacrificially and that is how we are to love. Sacrificial love is true in Jesus and it must be true if you call yourself a believer that you will live sacrificially, that you will love sacrificially. You know, I come from a church where the vision statement was love, love, love. You'll never outgrow that vision. And John is saying, I am commanding you to love because God has always commanded us to love. Now is the time to love like never before, because look at the end of verse eight, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is shining. Can we love one another? Is it possible in this world today that we can love like Jesus loved, which is to love sacrificially? It's possible. I'm gonna pray right now, and we're gonna have the worship team come up, and I just have a few more words to share with you. Prepare in your heart even now as we pray for you to receive the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the love that you showed to us. And that while we were still sinning, Christ came and died for us. The righteous took the place of the unrighteous. And Jesus, because you became sin, who knew no sin, in you we get to become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. What a precious gift that I pray all today would know and receive in Jesus' name, amen. What I'm gonna do real fast as we get into worship is I'm gonna bring you up to speed if you missed anything throughout that message. I know it was a lot, but let me bring you up to speed on where we're at. First, you do not have to sin. 
Christians, you do not have to sin. But if you do sin, Jesus is our advocate. Amen. Second, if Jesus has brought you into the family of God, then we will walk as Jesus walked. We will have what we've called a family resemblance. And third, to walk like Jesus walked is to keep God's commandments. And the commandments of God is to love sacrificially because that is how Jesus has loved us. I'm going to read verse 9 through 11, which is the end of our text. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We're going to sing a song in just a moment that's called, They Will Know We Are Christians by our love. So if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, here's what I'm going to admonish you with as we sing this song. As we read today, Jesus made propitiation for our sins, but not only ours, but also for the sins of the world. Meaning, God so loves this world that he gave his only son. So if God so loved the world that he gave his son to be a propitiation, at what point, brother, did you forget that God loved you while you were still a sinner? At what juncture, sister, did you think that your righteousness was something that you attained? If you are a brother or sister in Christ, only Jesus is our advocate. And Jesus made propitiation for the sins of the whole world, meaning he loves the whole world. And, and, it, and if we are showing hatred, and if we are showing even disdain toward this world, we're not matching the heart of God. So dear brothers and sisters, they will know us by our love. This world will come to Jesus when we love them like Jesus loved them two greatest reasons why the church gets caught up in this is because they love themselves too much. The way is to love God and to love others. That's the two greatest commandments. When you're getting those right, then you will abide in him. So flip the script, guys. If you want joy in your life, Jesus first, others second, and then you last will know what love is. And here's the point where I want to give an opportunity for you to accept Christ right now is that it said there at the end of our text in verse 11 that the person who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That is what describes somebody who doesn't know Jesus is that you are blind to seeing the light of Jesus and you don't know where you're going. Ask any Christian, where are you going? They know where they're going when they die. They're going to be with Jesus where he is. And if you don't know where you're going when you die, today's the day for you to know that. Today's the day for you to know that Jesus is an advocate for you. And the only way that you can appear before God in heaven is if Jesus becomes your advocate. And so receive him as your advocate. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer right now to simply ask by faith for him to come and be your advocate, to stand before you and to cleanse you by his blood, amen? 
If you want to receive Jesus today, if you want to know where you're going, you want to have your eyes open to seeing Jesus, pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, until today, I was blind to your love. But I have heard and now I see how much you love me, Jesus. I see that you died on the cross for my sin. I have seen my sin and I know it. And I confess it to you today. Jesus, will you be my advocate? Jesus, will you cover my sin with your blood? Jesus, will you be my friend? Will you be my savior? Will you be my Lord? Jesus, I want to know you. Please come and know me. In Jesus' name, amen. If there's anyone in here and you prayed that prayer with me just now, can, can, can you raise your hand? Because what we want to do is we want to know. I see you right back there, sir. Anyone else? I see you right back there. Praise the Lord. Amen. Anybody else? Right over there, I see you. Praise God. Amen. Right over there, I see you. Yes. Awesome. Praise God. I see you guys. And the Lord has called you today as his own children. You're in the family of God. Amen. Welcome. We've all received the love of Jesus. And so we're going to sing this song right now. We're going to sing two songs as we close. We're going to sing a song that's called, They Will Know We Are Christians By Our Love. It's powerful. Maybe you've sung this song when you were a little kid and you haven't heard it in a really long time. It's powerful and it's true. This world to come to Jesus, they need to see Christians who love God and love people. They will know we are Christians by our love. And the second song we're going to sing is Nothing But the Blood. Let's be reminded there's nothing but the blood that can cleanse our sins. He is our advocate. Amen, church? Amen. Let's all stand together. And um, as we stand, I'm going to have uh, a prayer team up here coming up. We've got Pastor Rob. Can I have the Coxes? Can you guys come up and join up here? And um, Jim and Annabelle Kim. And, um, and uh, let's see. Uh, Valencia's. Can you guys come on up? And we're just going to have, if, if you feel led to pray for people, uh, I think I saw probably about eight or nine hands go up today to receive Jesus. And, and if you raise your hand to receive Jesus, we want to pray with you. We want to get to know you. We have Bibles up here. We'd love to give you one. So just come forward. We'd love to talk to you either during the worship or after the service. But welcome to the family. Amen. Amen. Amen.